Welcome back to the Non-Standard 14er Podcast, the podcast that talks about everything the route description leaves out about hiking and climbing Colorado's 14ers. Today, we're not talking about a 14er, but we're talking about the 486-mile Colorado Trail that runs from Waterton Canyon in Denver all the way to Durango. So we're talking about through hiking across Colorado. Joining me today is a good segment hiker who I met on my CT hike, Wangler. Nugget, how you doing, my friend? <laughs> What's up? Also joining me from Salt Lake is my good friend, the exiled Michigander. How's it going, everyone? Please note that I have not through hiked the Colorado Trail, nor have I section hiked it. But uh, just here for to get, like many of you, get some information because it sounds like a pretty rich experience. So, yeah, you hiked more than you think because you've hiked Avalanche Gulch. On, on Yale doing a 14er. You fiked uh, some of it during uh, Pine Creek. You fiked some of it yep. during, if you did the uh, Little Browns Creek from uh, Antero area. I bet you've crossed the trail bit. five or six times. I've seen your photo. Stifler <laughs> sent me a bunch of photos of uh, you guys on the trail. I've seen your photo before. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we spent a brief couple of days together. So Wangler, did you did you finish the whole trail? No, I have done uh, about 180 miles um, from uh, Waterton Canyon to Twin Lakes. So I did that over two summers, um, five days uh, in 2021 and seven days this year. So I'll keep doing um segments week, yeah week to two weeks yeah 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 that's that's what our friend patrick kind of is doing too so i think for the the working stiff who doesn't have the luxury of a <laughs> three month sabbatical <laughs> i was just telling sean when you walked away about your sports is that your sports illustrated cover in the back behind you Mangler? it is actually yeah yeah it is that's cool <laughs> so we were sitting around, uh, we had just entered the Mount Holy Cross wilderness, which is an insanely pretty section of the trail. Like the, you forget how much character the Sawatch has until you get into some of the Holy Cross wilderness. And we were at like a really craggy, beautiful place to camp. I mean, we're only dipped in the wilderness. Like if the Holy Cross wilderness is like a square, you just kind of cut the bottom like ear of it off real quick. Damn, was it pretty. And we were just like, had this amazing sun and it was like three 30. So we got there pretty early. We made a fire and just like bullshitted. And, uh, and so we were telling stories about what you, what you would tell people about like your claim to fame. And so Wangler's claim to fame was his, uh, he's on a sports illustrated cover. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And I think I told you, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't get stopped on the street as much as I used to, but yeah. And then the guy we were with, Badfoot, he was like an underwear model like 30 years ago. So he was telling us that. And then I talked about being a professional wrestler or indie wrestler. And that quickly led to me picking up Wangler in a body slam position. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, I'm body still slam. not sure what kind of physics were involved with, uh, with that move. But w- one second I was firmly planted on my feet and the next second I was... Uh, twirling around in the air 
Which that that picture that Badfoot took that that was a classic. But that was one one of the characteristics in the book that I talk about. Like Badfoot is really interesting. Is he never had the ability to slow down and be present and still? So we did the Pacific Crest Trail last year, and when you're doing the PCT, you're always racing October in Washington. So it's like in the back of your head every day is I got to get more miles in because I'm pushing the wilderness. I'm pushing winter in Washington. And so you could be in the Sierras in California in June and have this feeling of like pressure. And so that was always like for five months, I was always in the back of Badfoot's mind. And so he was never able to kind of like be still, let the day come. If you meet someone, just take a long lunch. It was always kind of push, push, push. And like the day we got to Holy Cross Wilderness, we stopped at 3.30. It was like one of the first days Badfoot like had this epiphany, like a semi-epiphany that, hey, like there's no pressure here in a Colorado trail. Like if you want to stop early and have a fire and body slam people and just tell stories and laugh in like an amazing place of Colorado, like that was like, it it was part of, um, I think the transformation we saw Badfoot Mm -hmm. throughout the, the five weeks I knew him. No, I, I, I was just going to say that's, um, you know, in the in the, the two years that I was on the trail, 12 days total, like the those times. That, I mean, you know, I, I, I think I told you, Nugget, when I started on the trail. I had this like in my mind. My wife was dropping me off at Waterton Canyon. She was going to pick me up at Kenosha Pass five days later. And I thought I was just going to hike by myself and be my by myself for for five days, right? Like I knew it was going to be beautiful. I knew it was going to be challenging. But what I totally underestimated was the social aspect, the camaraderie aspect of it, right? I, I mean, I just thought I was going to be by myself the whole time. And then when I look back at the first year, it was the people and the conversations and the relationships that you built that made it so interesting. And when I was going to start on the trail from Kenosha Pass and go to Twin Lakes this year, right? Everybody asked me all the time, are you going by yourself? Are you hiking with anybody? And I'm like, nope. But I know within a day or two, I'll meet some people and you know you, you you don't force it right you just get out on the trail and you know i remember you nugget sitting there in the uh in the hostel in breckenridge wearing your rain suit because all your clothes were in the <laughs> were in the washing machine right and we had never met we struck up that conversation next thing you knew we were grabbing beers at a brewery and eating dinner and watching the abs championship game and i you know just like serendipity right yeah, that's what's amazing it's like it's like you have bonds with people and like you walk into town and would talk to someone and like oh yeah and, you know this is wangler and i and they'll assume like you've known wangler for like 10 years and you've been hiking with them for years but like no i met him yesterday <laughs> right <laughs> and it's like a, it's a crazy instant connection that that through hikers have whether it's like sharing nature, whether it's suffering together, whether it's you're an instant member of a tribe, but yeah, like there's no other experience that I've had where like the only, I used to say like, well, the best example was like wearing Pittsburgh pirates gear. And I was at opening day in Cincinnati 
And so like you're in a sea of red and actually red reds, <laughs> free peach shirts. And like, if you see a pirate fan, you would cross the street to talk to them because they're, they're an instant member of your tribe. And on the through hiking world, it's like, it's like you're an instant best friend. And that's, it was even particularly strange for me for as an, more of an introvert to have that instant camaraderie is, is uh, I never had before. That's really interesting, especially like from knowing you and how, you know, you can be a little socially awkward, <laughs> not like to meet new people. Was it really that easy just to like make friends? Yeah, it was, I mean, maybe it's just being alone for 10 hours a day. And so my introversion batteries recharged or it's like, you see their backpack and you see their Sawyer squeeze filter. And it's like, you know, they just came over Georgia pass. You did too. And it's like, you have like an instant, like respect for them. It's like, I don't have signal, like separating an equilibrium where like, like I'm an introvert, but I love to talk to like about 14 years. So if I'm on a cocktail party, I'll just stick next to someone who climbs 14 years where I don't want to talk about the weather or small talk about the Broncos with strangers. And like it's through hiking, you know instantly who those your who who are those your direct like people you want to talk to at a cocktail party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like getting to town, first town day, we got to Breckenridge, and we were at that we were at the Bivy Hostel, and it was raining, and so everyone came off the trail. A bunch of bikers who were biking across the country were there, and of course that's where it starts to overlap with the CDT, the Continental Divide Trail. So you had a bunch of CDT hikers there. So we met like Swiss monkey and blister and like, and so everyone's like just sitting around the fire in the lobby of the hotel. Like again, like as, as a wangler said, everyone's in their raincoats because they're we're doing our laundry. So we had no underwear on. And it, so we were doing our laundry and just started talking. It was so easy just to talk to people. And that's why like this one guy from Germany who was just hiking the room bells and just Touring around by himself for three weeks in Colorado, started talking to us. Uh, a guy from the Netherlands named Blister started talking to us. A Latin teacher from Washington, D.C., who turned out to be the bacon eating champion of Keystone County. <laughs> Keystone. <laughs> Just like instantly was sitting there in the lobby. And it was like we were best friends at a 10 year high school reunion. Let's, let's go drink beer together. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and then on top of that, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. It was a little bit of a suffer fest too, right? Like most of us had hiked. I know you got into town before it really started, but I had hiked like five hours in an absolute downpour, right? So, I mean, I was just, I was spent, I, you know, and uh, so kind of most of the people had gone through it that, that day, right? So I think the, 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 you know, tough circumstances, you know, bond you kind of instantly to people, right? You think that and that's, I've been digging into the research on that, like how soldiers bond faster or even like um, sorority members, like sorority or fraternity members who get hazed. They bond, they, they, they form lifetime bonds because of the suffering. It's like your brain like kicks in and says like, this is stupid. I must really love these people if I'm doing this together. Uh, so there's a lot of cool research in the psychology world about why suffering creates bonds. Mm-hmm. So what, what motivates someone to do a long distance hike, like the Colorado trail or the Appalachian trail or CDT Pacific crest trail. I ran into some people who had, I mean, there's everyone has a story. 
So I met uh, Tooth a uh, day before Durango, and she had never hiked before. They called her Tooth because she brought electric toothbrush. She had broken up with her boyfriend of 12 years, and her brother died that month. And she had never hiked before, and she was trying to find catharsis and decided to like through hike the Colorado Trail. And she said she cried 20 days in a row. And then she found a trail family and like completely found the other side and was completely like, like felt like she was healed, had found catharsis. I hiked with a guy named Tin Goat who got blown up in Afghanistan and was in a wheelchair from 2006, 2008, was so depressed. He was never going to walk again, nursed his way back to crutches. And then eventually said he was going to do the Colorado trail. And he ran the last mile of the Colorado trail. I watched him run the last mile hiked with a gal named mountain goat that had an autoimmune disease and she was living in a very wet part of California and moved to Buena Vista to get to a higher, drier climate. And she said she couldn't walk two miles several years ago because of her autoimmune disease. And that was hiking the Colorado trail. That's amazing. And that was just me. I was like the handful of people that I just met that I thought were like, should be a novel of an inspirational stories that, 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 I, that I talked to people on the trail. So what about the two of you? Like, what were your personal motivations? Well, you know, my, I, I would say my personal motivation and, you know, like, like you said earlier, right. I don't have 35, 40 days to do it uh, all at once, but, you know, I, I've lived in Colorado for almost 26 years and I've always enjoyed hiking. I've enjoyed the mountains. Um, I'd known about the trail for a long time, but I think during the, during the pandemic and a shift to uh, working from home, right. It's like every day, just in my home office, um, you know, to me, the motivation was really that opportunity to get out to wilderness, get to nature, be in the elements for, you know, a week at a time, um, not sitting behind a desk, not behind a computer, not on a Zoom meeting, right? And just, uh, you know, just be out there and, and uh, you know, wake up and hike and spend the whole day doing that and, you know, set up camp and go to bed and wake up the next day and, and, and do it again. Um, I think there's something so powerful about being out in nature like that. Um, you know, and then, you know, both years, right. I finished and I was just so wanted to keep going, right. Like so jealous of people like nugget that I knew was going to, get to be out there for the next three or four weeks. And then, and so part of me is, was very much like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling sorry for myself. I have to go back to work. And, but now, you know, after a few months, the way I look at it is, you know, I'll start pulling down my Colorado trail guidebook, start to plan out next year. Um, I have something to look forward to, right? I mean, I'll, I know I'll do another seven days, 10 days on the trail. Um, you know, so for me, it's going to be four or five years where I have something to accomplish every summer. Right. My wife has already said, 
you know, now when are you going next year? I know you're planning on that, right? And so, so for for me, it's uh, it's an extended experience, but it's it's definitely powerful. And it sounds like you, so, you know, initially it was the nature, the call of nature that brought you into it, but it sounds like more and more it's the camaraderie that you are kind of coming back to as well, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, next year, you know, my, my third year out there, I've had, I've had some friends that I've met on the trail previous are like, Oh, Hey, I'll, you know, I I'll go and do, you know, um, collegiate West, collegiate West. Yeah. next year. And so I, I have a couple of offers to, you know, to, to do that, which would be fun. Or I have all the confidence in the world that if I end up starting by myself, I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll meet some people uh, along the way and it'll be another unique experience. So um, I think it does give you the confidence to be able to do that as a solo you know, hiker and Nugget, I know you, you know, I, I, I know you started by yourself. I mean, w- w- was that your expectation as well? Did you think you were going to be just kind of b- by yourself or, or did you know you were going to, you know, meet up and form that tramily or. I, I, I had hoped I'd form a tramily eventually, but I thought I would, you know, one of the, my biggest fears was kind of like camping in the wilderness alone, kind of like hearing wolves or bears or like, just being in like the deep Sawatch range and just being alone. I don't think I didn't camp a single day without like, I could get out of my tent and throw a rock and hit another person every night. I didn't have a single night. I camped um, alone. And that was kind of half lucky. Cause I ran into a ran into bad foot and tall tail and Harry Potter day three. And I stuck with uh bad foot for the next 32 days, 34, 34 days. But Nugget, you didn't really uh, get into the your motivation for doing the trail. Yeah, I finished the 14ers back in 2019. And uh, you know, someone got me a copy of Bill Bryson's uh, Into the Woods. Or what's that? I started reading that and I got kind of uh, a little bit of a through hiker bug. And when I bought my home here in Colorado and Denver here, uh, it's right next to the South Platte River Trail. In, the, in 2014, the guy... He mentioned you can walk out of the, your house here, jump on the South Platte, take it all the way to Waterton, and, and then hike the Colorado Trail to Durango. And so for like eight years, I was always in the back of my head, like, I'm going to do that. And so I did. I, I left my front door, biked the 20 miles of the South Platte, and walked to Durango to get my free uh, Nut Brown Colorado Trail, <laughs> Nut Brown Ale at uh, the brewery. I also wanted to, I wanted to push myself. I wanted to discomfort. I wanted to challenge. I felt like I'm stagnating and like kind of more of like the finished 14 years needed something hard to do kind of a Masogi. If you ever read the disc, uh, the comfort crisis, I needed a kind of a hard trip and I felt the kind of the pushing myself physically, but also pushing myself as an introvert. Um, through hiking was a cool way to do it. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, you, you bring up the, the Masagi, you know, Nugget, that was, that was one of the best afternoons when you and I were hiking up to Tennessee Pass, right? Super easy trail and just like sharing 50 books each of us had read, right? Just just like one after, hey, have you ever heard of this one? Have you ever heard of that one? And 
you know, just uh, I, I think that was another way that you and I, in particular, really bonded over um, over reading. And then just what a couple of weeks ago, I shot you that uh, text of Life on the Mississippi. I don't know if you picked that up and read it, but uh, I I finished it. It was that was a really really interesting book. But that was that's like the flow of uh, what's really cool about this. Like I never knew. Like if you start hiking with people, you don't have to hike with them every day and every hour. It's like you look at your map and say, okay, we're going to be at Razor Creek tomorrow, 18 miles down the road. And whether you want to wake up early, wake up late, have coffee, take your time in the morning, you know your buddies are that way down the trail. And no matter what you do the next day, whether you hike with new people, whether you listen to a podcast, whether you crave solitude for 10 hours, you'll have people to have dinner with. And that's what was mind-blowing to me. Like, that's, like, completely different than any other backpacking I've done. Like, with you, Sean, like, we're always, you know, six feet from each other, hiking, telling the same damn stories. That's why we always try to find new friends, because we tell the same stories all the time. And we're sick of telling the same stories to ourselves. But through hiking, it's like, you don't have, you can just, oh, I'll see you at Razor Creek tomorrow, Badfoot. And if I don't see you for the next 14 hours, well, then I'll have some stories to tell you. And we'll have dinner together and bullshit and we'll do the same thing the next day. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, so I've done it both ways the last two years. I think the way that you just described um, is, is the preferred, right? Last year, I was with a group, happened to kind of met on the first day and then picked up a couple of people on the second day. <clears throat> and we hiked all day long together, like six of us in a row. And there, there were a few times when there was a little bit of tension, right? It's like some people want to go faster. Some people want to go slower, but we had like this weird bond where we were together and it, it worked out fine. I mean, it wasn't a bad experience, but I liked the way that you described it. I liked the experience that I had this year, right? Where you kind of knew you were roughly going to, connect it at camp or, you know, X number of miles down the road. Sometimes you hiked with somebody, sometimes you didn't. I thought that was a more relaxed, pleasurable approach to it. I had more solitude this year and, you know, but, but mixed with, you know, like walking up Tennessee pass and trading, you know, books that we'd read. Right. I mean, there, there, there were plenty of those times as well, but it's a nice mix. So I met uh, Wangler in Breckenridge and we would big leg over uh, Breckenridge ski area to copper We basically camped right next. We camped the parking lot night next to copper. And the next morning uh, I was making my breakfast and have coffee and Wangler was like, Hey, what's going on? And then tell the story about how Wangler passed mountain goat and then got off trail, <laughs> wandered in someone's deck at, at copper and realized he was off trail. I realized this is probably not the Colorado Trail, but it runs into a hot tub in Copper Village, Ski Village. And then repassed Mountain Goat like an hour later. And she was like, <laughs> Yep. Yep. Well, what happened? You were down by the river. I didn't camp with you guys that night. I had stopped maybe a half a mile earlier up on the hill. And I remember calling down to you. You were still packing up. I'm like, Hey, I'll see you on the trail. Cause I knew you hiked a lot faster than, than I do typically. And so I'm heading out 
I knew you were going to catch up to me at some point. And then the Colorado trail goes through copper mountain and there's all these side trails and signs. And, and I stood there at this junction, you go like you go like right underneath super B lift, like right. You know, you're familiar with super B Sean yeah. right under super B and some, several of the, of the other, uh, like that orange lift on the very left side of the mountain. Yeah. And then yeah, you go kind of right by center village. Yeah, you're like a hundred yards up the hill and and just transversing it, right? And uh so I stand there and I'm making a decision and I go right and I should have gone left. And a quarter mile later, or what I should have known was I'm heading downhill instead of uphill, right? <laughs> and uh as, as Nugget said, I ended up essentially in somebody's back porch. I'm like, damn it. And so I retraced my steps, stood at the same place, noticed I had missed a Colorado Trail sign that uh, if I would have been standing like two feet further to the left, I would have seen. So in that half a mile detour, right, quarter mile down the hill, quarter mile back up the hill, Nugget had flown by me. I never saw him the whole rest of the day until, until we camped like 15 miles later, he had, he had buzzed past me. And, uh, but, but that's also, uh, that's when I caught up to Badfoot that day and we ended up hiking together, going over Kokomo pass and Searle pass. And we did all of that together, actually spent a lot of time together that day. Kokomo pass is, is, is incredible. If you could do, one section near uh, the front range, I would say figure out how to do like Camp Hale to Kokomo Pass. Yeah, that was that was incredible. And in between Kokomo Pass and Cyril Pass, where you're, you know, you spend that whole time basically at 12,000 feet. Those views were beautiful. I'm sure you saw some incredible views further on past that. But in my experience so far, that was that that was probably the best. Because you kind of start, you know, at mile high and then you don't really get to 11,000 feet till Georgia pass into Breckenridge. And the next day is kind of over, you know, over Breckenridge ski resort. Next day is over copper into kind of uh, the Sawatch range and you're headed toward uh, Mount of the Holy Cross. And it's kind of, you kind of get more into mountainous terrain, you know, day seven, day eight. But like, the views are the best views so far on the trail since Waterton were then, and then you just got better and better, particularly as you got south of Salida and got into the Wemenooch. Yeah, I'm <clears throat> I'm looking forward to that part of the trail. Uh, it feels like, you know, living in Denver, right? I'm more familiar with Denver to Breck to Copper to, you know, Leadville, but like from collegiate west on that's an area i've i've really never seen of the state so i'm looking forward to that so when i was a boy i can't remember what book it was that i read but i read some book about someone who'd done the appalachian trail and i thought that that sounded so cool so it was always in the back of my, my mind i wanted to do the appalachian trail and then in June of 2013, I did the four pass loop around the Maroon Bells. And that was the longest 
backpacking I'd done. It was, uh, let's see, three, four days, three nights that I camped, something like that. And it was, it was just amazing. It was awesome. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of that, I was like, I don't ever want to do the Appalachian Trail. Like that after three days in a tent eating shitty food, I want a warm meal. I want a shower and I want a, a nice bed. So my question is, did I just not give it enough time? Like would I have grown into the, the uh, you know, long trail mentality after let's say five overnights? Or is, am I just not built for the long distance trails like you guys are? So my experience is like, uh, so, so we did, um, over Valacito, Valacito, um, over Columbine passed into the Chicago basin, uh, what, uh, two last summer. And that was the first four day trip. And every other backpack I did with you, Sean, it was always like, it's two days. I'm sick of you. I'm ready to get back to a brewery shower and a hotel. <laughs> so I was the problem. And that, I think it was the fourth day. I never done more than three. Once I got to the fourth day of that Chicago Basin trip, I didn't want to go home. It's like I found my home. Uh, it's like I got into the rhythm. And I think in the same with exactly the same with Colorado Trail. I had spent the first four days before I got my trail name. And every day I got worried about I wouldn't be able to do it. I got anxiety. I got some depression. I was lonely. And once I got to day five, once I crossed Kenosha Pass, and crossed uh, 285 there and headed toward Breckenridge. It's like, uh, that was, I would, I would, I would call that my watershed moment. And that was when I got my trail name as Nugget. And I never, I never for the rest of the next 31 days felt any, any sort of loneliness, depression, anxiety. I just felt like I got more and more at home. You know, I, 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 I think that um, even though, you know, you talk about being a through hiker, right? And so I'm not a through hiker, I'm a section hiker. Um, but there is a real goal at the end of every section, whether you're a through hiker or a section hiker, right? You're thinking about that town coming up, right? You're thinking about Breckenridge and grabbing a beer at a brewery and doing your laundry and eating at a restaurant, right? And so you'll be hiking and you're talking about the big cheeseburger that you're gonna eat, or you're the big beer that you're gonna eat, right? All right, I, I tell you, when, when I got to Twin Lakes General Store, I had two hours until my wife was gonna pick me up. I could not have been happier to sit in my luxury item camp chair that I carried the whole way with me and drink a Coors tall boy looking at the Coors sign above the uh, Twin Lakes general store, right? I mean, I was in heaven. I had my shoes off, my feet up, drinking my tall boy. I had made it to civilization, right? So I, I, I think that, that, that having that goal of the next town, the next civilization to get to is, is really a part of that experience. Right. I met, uh, uh, a couple from Hawaii. We were coming, uh, we were going down to Breckenridge. They were of course coming North on the, on the continental divide trail coming out of Breckenridge. 
they looked like they were in an Ironman competition. I mean, they were moving faster uphill than I was moving downhill. And they were look like I had, to, I had to double check to make sure they didn't have like Ironman numbers on their arm. Cause I thought I moved into an Ironman competition mid stream. Uh, and they were like, yeah, we didn't stop in Breckenridge too many people, too many, too much people. We, we, we've been on the trail for two months. It's like that, that overload overloaded fat Texan kind of like crazy, um, town feeling they were like no resupplied our homes on the trail and then later on a couple miles down the road i met and met met happy and you could tell why her name was happy trail name was happy she just like our glowed glowed uh and she's like yeah oh yeah did you meet did you meet sonic and mudslide and i was like struck by how nonchalantly she referred to a human as mudslide but it was like only six days in my trail and I like didn't really adopt like the trail name kind of like immersion. It was like that point was like, it's like a transformation. I became Nugget. People became Mudslide. She became happy. And people were better, more at home on the trail than they were in, in Breckenridge. And I didn't understand that because I hadn't met my first town day. But after like going to the Walmart and being like, like overloaded with people, I grabbed my Swedish fish airheads, some deodorant, and I was like, okay, I'm looking forward to getting back to the trail tomorrow. Uh, so, yeah, I was just wondering, go, going back to trail name, but I'm just wondering if you can, for the audience who isn't familiar, kind of explain the rules of getting and receiving trail names and also kind of tell your stories of how you got your trail name. And, and you know, you kind of touched on it briefly, Nugget, like kind of like what that meant for you when you were hiking. If you could maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I kind of write in the book about how um, I crossed Kenosha Pass and I was adopted and uh, renamed. And so I found I found Tramley and I and then they uh, from Colorado, Colorado, you know, doing this podcast, have a lot of research on the 14 years, know the weather. Uh, I've been doing a lot of research on like the naming and like the like the Native American people naming and like the much of research on the history of the Colorado trail. So I was always like dropping in what they said, nuggets of information. And so they, they started calling me nugget for the, the Colorado history or like Colorado weather or 14 or kind of like, this is that peak, you know, it's uh, this elevation and, you know, it was named after, you know, so-and-so. And so that was how I got my name, but is it, but it's more than a nickname. It's a persona and the chance to, ditch whatever persona you have. Like I joked about like, Chris is an introvert in the real world. Nugget was an extrovert. Chris doesn't want to talk to strangers. Nugget just wants to thrive and have, hear your story. Um, but it's, it's kind of, I think the, the generic is like, you can't really give yourself your own nickname. It's normally comes, comes from an anecdote or a funny story or something that has happens along the trail and the, and the, your tramway or the people you're hiking with kind of suggest. And then you say, I'll accept yeah, I think also it's it's one of those things where you can't you can't push it, you can't rush it, it can't be artificial, right? I mean, like a good trail name, like it it just evolves. It just yeah, you know, like you said, right? It's either a good story or and someone goes, I'm gonna call you Wangler. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, and they're like, okay, I can take on that persona of Wangler, right? Um, but uh yeah, I I think you, you, you can't push it. And it's, it's funny. One of the guys that I met last year, his trail name is Mo short for Mosey in. 
like walking slow on the trail, like mo. And so in my cell phone, I have it as mo m o e dash z dash a n n e, like mozian. And so I I mean, I see him every couple of months. I've had dinner with him and his wife and my wife, right? And I always call him Mo. And his real name in the real world is Brian, right? And like, I, there have been times when I've been out with him and his wife and his wife will say like Brian something. And I'll be like, "Who? who's Brian? <laughs> like, like do like this, like absolute double take of like, who's this Brian guy you're talking about, right? Because I know him as Mo. And when the first time we went out to dinner with Mo and his wife and myself and my wife, my wife was asking me like, well, do I call him Mo? And I'm like, well, I'm like, I, I don't know because you don't hike on the trail. So I, I don't know if you should call him Mo or maybe you should call him Brian. I don't know. I, I don't know. But just kind of a, a, a funny like it's also like who has the right to call you your trail name that's an interesting right? question but you, you like find yourself you know two weeks of hike and you find yourself saying things like yeah i chatted with cuddles and caddyshack and they're running with free, feeling good and they're about uh five miles ahead of onion and worm the worm doesn't actually know onion and gump and worm are trying to do 30s and catch up to cuddles and feeling good yeah and you're like <laughs> right it's like and somehow that all makes sense right that's fantastic <laughs> yeah that's good. that would be i could see a movie scene like that that would be so great so yeah who does have the right to give you a, your trail name i don't know I, I think it goes both ways i met uh, a, a rattler who on the first day of his cdt hike sat next to rattlesnake and the people that he was hiking with just started to call him Rattler. I met a, um, this is a funny story. So we were walking down the street in uh, like July 3rd in Leadville. And uh, this guy crosses the street, sees our backpacks and wants to talk to us. And this is one of the first experiences I noticed. Like there's like a real tribe with through hikers. This guy looked like he was a Lord of the Rings extra, like el elfish looking uh, beard, long hair. He was known as King Arthur. King Arthur was on the PCT last year, Pacific Crest Trail, and a gal had driven her stake into a root, and then everyone was trying to pull Excalibur from the root, and he, in Arthurian fashion, was able to and pull Excalibur out of the tree root, and so they started to call him King Arthur. <laughs> and so I don't know if he really had a connection with that group, but the anecdote was apropos, you know, it was, so I think everything's, every trail name is unique. I think the better ones are ones that, you know, it's more sentimental value. If your family gives you, give you yours. But if you have a funny anecdote, I hiked for about a week with tall tail. Tall tail was given a fish on the Pacific crest trail last year. And, uh, you know, as through hiker, she had no, no, re, no way to cook her fish. Like no foil, no knife to skin it, like just a little pot to boil our water to make our instant, you know, mashed potatoes. And someone at an elevated alpine lake gave her a fish that she didn't want to say no to. So she's like carrying a fish on the trail. And so people are like, the, what, what, 
why do you have a fish? And so she got asked that so many times. And I don't know if she was holding her trekking poles when she told the story, but someone had heard that she had stabbed the fish with her trekking pole. And then he was telling down the trail all the people he met, like, have you met Anne? She's stabbing her protein with her trekking pole. And so then like this myth of like this woman who was just killing animals with her trekking pole, like amassed on the PCT in this bubble. And she eventually met these two women that were like, you know, met her on the trail. Like, oh, I'm I'm Anne. They're like, you're Anne? You're the person who's stabbing fish with with her trekking poles? And so she became tall tail. And so that really wasn't a tramily related. It was more like a very funny anecdote that had to become her name. Mm-hmm. That's good. So we finished the Colorado Trail. We hiked with, um, we met Daddy Longlegs, really interesting guy. He, every year when his next uh, son or daughter turns 13, he hikes the John Muir Trail for a a week or two and that's like they're like bonding son daughter or son father daughter father uh, father trip and it's like a coming of age type of get away from cell phones get away from social media spend two weeks with your father through hiking pushing yourself in discomfort and he says his his kids all start like complaining and bitching about not having social media and like but after two weeks they feel like it's like a transformational experience I thought it was really cool to do the John Muir Trail of every, with every uh, one of his sons or daughters. But I met him like the last night. We, we uh, shared the finish there in Durango together. And we had met a couple. Um, we were just moving to Durango, a couple that were moving in together. And his girlfriend was hiking to Durango to Denver. And we met them at the Judy's Rest, four miles, four miles into their hike. Um, four miles left to go to our like 482 miles into our hike. He was sending his girlfriend off to Denver. Uh, he wasn't hiking, but his girlfriend was. And so we, we, you know, we were like, Hey, what do you have a Jeep? Do you want to give us a ride to Durango? <laughs> we are like <laughs> planting the seed early to kind of yogi ourself. Uh, that's a good through hiker term, yogiing, yogi bearing and kind of, uh, weaseling your way into food or a ride yogi yogiing ride but we had met daddy long legs he finished the trail that guy came down gave us all a ride to durango and this guy said okay well i'll drop you off at the bar there to get your free nut nut brown ale i'm driving back to denver and daddy long legs who had known this guy for maybe 22 minutes of his life was like hey i'll just give you gas money let's i'll, I'll ride to denver with you and it was like, that was just completely normal to just suddenly ride five hours across Colorado with someone you've met for less than 30 minutes. Yeah. And that was like kind of typical of the, of the trail bond where it's like, it's not uncommon to see a through hiker and be like, okay, we got a seat at our, our restaurant table. Like, boom, we assume you're going to sit with us. Yeah. That here's an interesting story of someone that ended up in our, Tramily. Her name's Ava, trail name Funky Chicken. But on our third day out of Denver, we come up to this girl sitting by herself by a stream, just kind of 
quiet, contemplating life. 18 years old, had just finished her freshman year at started the trail with a girlfriend of hers. Her girlfriend got two days in and said, this isn't for me. And went off trail, hitchhiked home. So Ava was sitting by herself, just contemplating life. Like, am I going to be able to go, uh, you know, the rest of this trail ended up joining up with us. And she went the whole way with, with the people that, that I had met. Um, and in fact, you talk about the age discrepancy or disparity, right? So Ava 18, the guy Mo, who I became good friends with, 63 years old, I think, right? So Ava 18 and Mo 63 became best buds, hiked the whole trail together. And, you know, Nugget, I, you know, I think you and, and Badfoot, right? You guys had a, a pretty wide, you know, age uh, difference as well. I, I, I think that's one of the neat things too, right? It just, you meet such a wide range of, you know, different age, different backgrounds, different, you know, I think that's a piece that's just fascinating too. Yeah, I was, uh, well, today's my birthday, so I'm 36 today. So, oh, there you go. Happy birthday. Cheers. cheers. And I was, yeah, I was 35. Badfoot was 66. But there is, and Badfoot talked about this a lot, there is no ageism. There is no stratus. There's no clicks. There is, you're a 20, 20-year-old thru-hiker is the same as a 66-year-old thru-hiker. Uh, there is no rich versus poor. There's just no uh, levels. Everyone is just a bond. Everyone's a through hiker. And it didn't matter if you're talking to CDT through hikers or, you know, Colorado trail hikers, the age difference didn't matter. Yep. And sometimes that 66 year old turns out to be, you know, but maybe better at uphills or better at downhills than than you are right and what i learned from you so if you you just turned 36 so you're uh 14 16 17 years younger than i am but uh next year i'm getting on that stairmaster man you were just like like you were giving me some good tips on the stairmaster and what was the uh uh the stretching routine or something like knees over feet. Or... Oh yeah. I wish I was sponsored by those people. Knees over toes. Yeah. And then I was also a, a big go ruck guy. So I have a go ruck backpack with yeah. 30 pound weight. Right. I spent the most of the winter just pounding the stair climber with 30 pounds on my back. But yeah, I mean that, that stretch up, up a ha- uh, from Holy Cross wilderness. I was just, I always felt strong uphill and I would catch most people on the uphill until I got Jardia. <laughs> I'm definitely, I mean, I did a fair amount of rucking last winter, um, you know, in spring. I'll do that again. I'm definitely going to, definitely going to work the Stairmaster in though, too. What about gear? Are you both like ultralighters or are you, are you more like me and like to take as much weight as possible as long as you have comfort? That's uh so I had, uh, you know, 
water in my pack. That was probably what's a, a liter is 2.2 pounds. Um, I probably had two liters, so I had probably you know, almost five, five pounds of water. I had four days of food and all my gear at Waterton was 32 pounds. Which is pretty good. My base weight's pretty low. Um, I brought a book to start with. I brought Crocs, 14 ounces worth of extra shoes that I end, end up dropping. I ended up dropping my um, bear spray. Um, but I think my, my gear is, um, it's pretty well dialed in. Even with um, a six-day carry between Salida and Lake City, I don't think I was there, was heavier than what you and I used to do for a two-day trip in the Sawatch range. A lot of that has to do with the expensive, expensive quilt, expensive uh, mat, and expensive tent. Yeah, I was uh, I was right around forty pounds, and I spent a lot of time thinking about that forty pounds, right? And you know, to to your point, Nugget, you can you can buy your way into you know some some lighter gear, and and I did a little bit of that, but I did have my REI camp chair which I really like that thing, you know, I mean, when I, when I stop at lunch or when I stop it to camp, I, I like whipping that out and that's, you know, pound and a half pound and three quarters. Well, yeah, uh, I, bet it's, I bet it's closer to two pounds and you have a bit, you're a bear can too, right? Yeah. Yep. I, I had a bear canister. Um, and I, and I went back and forth on that. I had actually bought, um, uh, you know, one of the Ursac things, and I decided to stick with the bear canister, mostly just because I didn't want the pain in the ass of trying to figure out how to tie it up or whatever. Um, so a little bit heavier on the bear canister. And then, you know, I started the trip with 12 ounces of rum. Of course, that went down by a couple ounces every day. You know, so by but by the last day, I was, you know, I I, I was 12 ounces lighter than. Than when I started, but so, so no uh, three liter space bags of wine on the hike, no. Yeah, I don't know if Sean's notorious for bringing way too much weight. Like, like we were backpacking country skiing a couple years ago, and he had like martini glasses and cocktail onions and uh, vermouth <laughs> and gin, and he, he had a full bar in his backpack. So he has never, he's never been the ultralight person. We always joke about he's going to whip out a, a waffle maker next time we're camp, sitting around the campfire. Yeah, on that trip, I had both olives for martinis and pearl onions if you wanted a Gibson instead of a martini. Well, you know, you have to be civilized. I mean, come on. Yes, that's what I think, too. <laughs> it is the trade-off. I mean, they always say that's a luxury item, like... Uh, Wangler used the term luxury item. So his chair was in the Thruaker world was a luxury item. It's a trade-off, right? Less less work on your joints, you can go faster. But like some of these CDT hikers were like, I mean, had nothing. And they were a cowboy camping with a tarp with a little, you know, eggshell pad. But they were doing 30-mile days. So they had to like exhaust themselves to even be able to sleep on the Spartan gear that they, that they had what are the most common luxury items well, that's a good question that is a good i don't question. know if i saw a lot uh, extra shoes maybe 
in camp shoes with flip-flops, Crocs, Birkenstocks. Something to read. Like Badfoot was hiking with uh, Harry Potter. Harry Potter would read the first 200 pages and then rip the novel and hand him the first 200 pages and he would take the last 200 pages. Well, we did. We just had some some crossword puzzles that were real lightweight and one-page crossword puzzles. Just give me some alcohol in a camp chair. I'm happy as can be. I think the camp chairs, that's a good trade-off. I think I would go with that. So has this expired, inspired you to do more of the long trails? Oh, yeah. I've been telling, you know, I've been saying I find my best self on the trail. The camaraderie, the pushing yourself, the benefits of nature, the just isolation from phones and scrolling and Twitter and commenting and just a bullshit of social media. Just unplugging from that is just so recharging. I've been, I'm thinking about doing the long trail uh, in Vermont, 272 miles straight up the, the length of Vermont. I would love to do a through hike of Scotland. Didn't find myself more through hiking than I did hiking 14ers. Yeah, because there's this weird five-week worth of goal and this weird connection where you can have solitude and you have the bonding of a trail family driving toward the same goal the long-term goal where I think that's um, part of it. I think finding solitude for that long recharges my introversion batteries. I think you can't underestimate the awe, the awe of nature. There's a lot of good research on the awe of nature. People who experience awe, their time slows down. They're more, they're less selfish. They're more um, willing to be pro-social and more bonding. Yeah, I used to, um, 10 or 12 years ago, I ran a bunch of marathons. I ran like eight marathons and I was part of a training group and we would run long training runs every Saturday and, you know, we'd all run the same marathons and, and, um, I had stopped doing that. And when I started doing uh, the Colorado trail, there's a lot of similarities, uh, you know, to the bonds that I had with the people that I was running marathons with. Right. And again, it's the something challenging and you're suffering together and you're experiencing, you know, kind of that life changing kind of a adventure. So yeah, a lot of similarities to that. That's cool. I think, uh, you know, like logistically, if you're going to talk about logistics, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, the gut hooks and now rebranded as far out, um, you know, web or m- mobile app, right? I mean, I, like it, it almost takes the guesswork out of it, right? I mean, that app is so good is so good. And I mean, I couldn't even imagine doing it with, without that app. Right. And, and I almost think that you have to make a point 
of not being too attached to it, right? There were some people on that trail that would be checking that thing like every 200 yards, right? To the point of like, are you playing a video game or are you hiking the Colorado Trail? But I will say my one downside of using the Far Out app, we talked about how I got lost at Copper. So I stood at that junction. Do I go left or do I go right? And I decided to consult the Far Out app. And I looked at a comment and the comment in the app said, go right. And late, much, much later, they're going north. I'm in my tent, reviewing that, thinking about it. How did I get, uh, you know, led astray? And the answer was that that comment was left by a northbound hiker, not a southbound hiker. So I was a southbound hiker. If you were a northbound hiker, right was the right way. If you were southbound, right was not the right way. Um, so just kind of a a, a funny. Uh, you know, you can't be too attached to that app, but. Yeah, that was the advice I gave to that couple that was at Judy's Rest. You got to download the Far Out app. I mean, you can get away with having no idea what trail you're on. You have the Far Out app. It tells you exactly how much mileage to the next water source. And has crowdsourced like comments on whether Razor Creek is, you know, flowing or not. And whether there's camping by Razor Creek or not. Um I mean, that's what kind of the group I hiked with did. They, uh, their initial plan was to hike the rest of the Oregon Pacific Crest Trail that they were turned off last year because of forest fires. But they had such a big snowpack in Oregon, they couldn't do that section. So they quickly called an audible and went to the Colorado Trail, heavily reliant on the Far Out app to guide them. And I think they were a little unprepared for how much elevation there was in Colorado compared to the PCT. But that far out app, I mean, you can, as long as you have your resupply points or the ability to hitchhike into town for resupply, with that and little knowledge of the trail, you can be pretty successful. Well, that's a good question, Sean. If you only had four to five days to hike and could do just one section of the Colorado Trail to get the feel of it, what would section would that be? So I, I'm very interested in, in your answer. Uh, nugget because you can give me maybe a foreshadowing of what's to come. My answer is really easy. It's the uh, whatever's next on the, uh, uh, you know, whatever two or three or four or five sections are next is what I'm, uh, is what I'm going to do. But uh, I, I, I'm very curious from someone that's done it all. What is your, uh, what's your recommendation? Uh, I think the trail drastically changes once you get south of 114. 114 is the road that runs from like Swatch to Parlin, uh, basically Gunnison. We were on that road one time, you and I, Sean, when you were doing San Luis Peak. Maybe a day on that. South of that is really dry and very cow country. It was when I got Jardia. But once you get into the Coach Topa, um, Coach Topa River and then near San Luis Peak, anything south and southwest of San Luis and the Coach Topa area. I um, mean, you're talking, you're heading toward Lake City, you're talking Wemanuche Wilderness, you're talking the Vestal and Arrow. You can see 
amazing views of the Grenadiers. Uh, the San Juans just don't disappoint. Uh, and then once you get south of Silverton, like it's like it's like the the artist in the Swatch Range are only painted with three colors, like gray, green of forests, and maybe some blue. And the artists in the San Juans like added an extra red to their paintbrush, and like all these San Juan peaks are like streaked with red, uh, and just amazingly more jagged. Um, so it's oh, a great question. Four to five days. You could do four. I mean, you could do Silverton Durango. Uh, we did that in four days. We did Salida to Lake City in seven days. You could also do, I mean, I think you can do Collegiate West in five days, I bet. And that's Lake, Lake Ann, uh, Hope Pass. Some really great other sides of the Sawatch range that you're not used to during 14 years from Leadville. And you, you ended up doing collegiate. Well, you were, you were planning on collegiate East the whole time, right? It was, it, it was Badfoot that was originally planning on doing West, right? But he ended up sticking with you on East, right? So the collegiate, so since 2012, the Colorado Trail splits at Twin Lakes and goes 80 miles West we're basically 80 miles east. East route goes, the original route goes through Buena Vista. And my uh, mom and aunt had an Airbnb strategically along the rail of the, for three days in Buena Vista. So that made my decision to go east. But they're still both hard. I mean, Sean, you know this side. Um, we, we climbed the east uh, ridge of Yale in the winter one time for Avalanche Gulch. That was part of the Colorado Trail. And that side is so steep. I mean, that's a cool rule of thumb is like 300, 400 miles of gain a mile is easy. That side of Yale was like 1,100. I mean, you know what a thousand feet, a thousand gain a mile is. And that's like, you know, Oxford from Pine Creek. It is brutal. And so that part of the collegiate east is just. A slog. So neither way is really easy. I think you talk to CDT hikers, they say both ways are both hard. I don't think anyone's that drastically easier. It's a lot easier to resupply if you go east because you're in Buena Vista and you actually walk right through Princeton Hot Springs. So you go right next to the hot springs, you can resupply, eat in town. The trade-off is then you're you actually have to hike on a highway for like six miles. So it's not as remote and, and um, pretty as Lake Ann and Hope Pass and the Collegiate West, but you have the ability to resupply easier. So you, how many, how many nights did you actually camp in that Kenosha to Twin Lakes? Well, it was six nights, but one, so one night in, uh, in Breck in Breck and five nights camping. And so how many nights do you spent by yourself? Two. Okay. No. Yeah, that's right. So you spent no. that one night. Three. Three. Because you can't buy yourself by copper. Yeah. Yeah. And then next day you spent over over uh, uh, Kokomo. We camped together. Mm -hmm. Next night we spent in uh, Holy Cross Wilderness camping together. Yep. Got it. Yep. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's interesting. You said you didn't camp by yourself at all. You know, I, I, 
I think it's good to do a little bit of both too, right? I, I mean, you know, I'm I'm fairly comfortable camping uh, in you know in the mountains, but you do think a lot more when you're totally by yourself, right? You you think you you wonder if the bear's out there, <laughs> you, yeah. you know. You you definitely think about it a lot more when you're by yourself. I mean, let's see, let's see, Twin Lakes. That's not even yeah, it's less than two hundred miles in. So you got more than sixty yeah, percent of the trail like, left. I think it's like I, know, I think it's like 180, 181, something like that. I did uh, I did a hundred. It's from Kenosha to Twin Lakes is one hundred and six. Okay, and about what about seventy two to. Waterton to Kenosha? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. 72, 74. Um, which it it's funny, right? Cause like when you and I talk about that, 106, no big deal, right? You've done the whole thing. If I say 106 to somebody that has not hiked on the Colorado Trail, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, oh, you hiked 106. I'm like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal, right? I mean, but like for somebody that doesn't know it, that that's like crazy, crazy. Well, the first, I mean, the longest trip I ever did was forty miles. That was four days. Now that that was such a big uh, kind of watershed moment for me. But, but you're right. In through hiking world, it's not it's not uh, uncommon just to do twenty mile days. And and if you think about it, it's even if you walk in slow, which is two miles an hour. You get up and start hiking by six, mm-hmm. 10, 10 hours from that, then mm-hmm. 10 hours times two, two miles per hour is 20 miles. You know, you are at your campsite by 4 p.m. Right. So, right. so I, I guess I've been talking to people that say, like, you could do it. I mean, it's temp, it's time times. You don't have to be a, a phenomenal shape. You don't have to look like you're from SEAL Team 6. You can do it. And you get stronger as you go. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's the longest day that you did? We, uh, mileage wise, longest day was about 24, but I don't think that, uh, it was hard as hard. I mean, it's all based on vertical gain. Right. So like, uh, I think the hardest day I did was twin lakes to pine Creek. And I think I did 21 miles, but it was, it was over 4,000 feet of gain. I think it was 4,500. There's several up and downs when you start getting into those valleys um, near Oxford, Belford. We, yeah, we did, I did 23 miles and uh, coach Topa for like first five miles were like downhill and it, were, it was flat on the forest service roads. Whereas 21 miles in the Swatch range, going whoosh, 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 you know, yeah. 21 miles at 4,000 gain, much harder day than 23, 2,500 to gain. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we had no problems doing 20s toward the end. Even, even Badfoot at 66 wanted to do about 15s. And we ended up doing, uh, leaving Silverton. We were thinking it would take five days to get to Durango. We did 10 out of Silverton. And then we did 21, 22, and 23. Oh, wow. We did three twenties back to back and we got to Durango a day, day ahead of time. Hmm. 
Well, it had to do with the fact that we were you couldn't camp on the ridge in the lightning storm and couldn't camp near water. So we were a little bit pushed by the terrain. But I think it's not, I mean, five weeks in, you could do 20s. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the point, like you said, right, is you you wake up. I mean, that that that's also part of just the the simplicity of it that I think is appealing, right? You wake up. You pack up your gear and you start hiking, right? And it doesn't have to be fast. It's just, but what it is, is it's, it's consistent, right? I mean, you're just, you're, you're getting in miles, right? You get in X number of miles, you stop and you have some lunch and you get back on the trail and you hike some more. You know, I, I, I never had a day in, in my two years, um, where I hiked what I would consider late, right? I've always been at camp at the latest, maybe 4.30, right? Really? Um, yeah. Um, and and usually, usually like probably by at least four. And so, but again, usually on the trail by seven at the latest. And so, you know, I mean, again, you start doing the math, right? seven to four is nine hours. Right. So if, uh, you know, if you're going a couple miles an hour, right, you're going to get a 16, 17, 18 mile day. in. so with this sound of breath, we, we've always tried to, our goal was to get 10 by 12. Yeah. And a lot of the big through hikers, they say like, if you do 10 by 10, meaning 10 miles before 10 AM, anything's possible that day. Mm -hmm. are anything possible is 10 by 12. And so we were doing 15 mile days, you know, it got hotter in the afternoon. Yep. We already had 10 miles in by lunch. Right. Um, I started, I think my first day on the trail at Waterton, I biked, didn't start hiking until about noon. And I didn't get to the segment two till seven 30. Mm. That was the latest day. Yep. And every day, Every day you just get, you get up earlier and you stop earlier. Yeah. Then you get in that circadian rhythm where your body just gets up by 545 and then you're like tired and like, you're not anxious. You're not like looking at social media. You're not watching Netflix. You're not brains bouncing, looking at blue light. Your body's like, I had an awesome day. I hiked 20 miles. I'm tired. I'm going to fall asleep at nine o'clock. And there's something just so rejuvenating about that yeah that's it, funny because i you know i've heard people say and i experienced it myself it's like you almost don't need your headlamp right because like i was always going to sleep when there was still a little bit of light out for the most part right i mean it was and then when you wake up it's light and, and you know starting to get light and you're you're up right so i mean i i use that headlamp very seldom. I think that's a great point. I hardly use my headlamp. But like 14 years, you're hiking by 3 a.m. because you want that early summit. So you're spending several hours in the dark with your headlamp mm -hmm. or you're camping late and you're not used to circadian rhythm. But through hikers, yeah, they can, I could, you could definitely get away with through hiking without a headlamp because you're up by 545. You're in bed by nine. Yep. So, uh, so I, I've got a question for you, Nugget. When, uh, when you, you and I parted ways, 
and you did your one extra day in Leadville, you had a you had a pretty nasty blister on the bottom of your foot. You had a blister that was so bad that it made me gasp out loud when you showed us uh, at camp that night. Um, did that thing just heal? What was the like? I, I mean, I, I obviously you you kept going, but um, that thing looked nasty. Yeah, I think uh, I got lucky because I had a, a town day the next day. I had a uh, my good uh, Ed and my good friend uh, Julie. She's a nurse. She brought a bunch of stuff for me to kind of uh, re- uh, put some repair and let it dry out. I think taking a day off and actually having we I was sitting in a saltwater hot tub. I think saltwater hot tub really actually helped. Uh, day off, saltwater hot tub, and then clean bandage bandaging it. That didn't uh, it didn't slow me down at all. Hmm. So by the time you got to Durango, was it like completely healed, or was it? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I did. I did get some pain in my left foot, same foot with the, with the blister uh, on the top of my foot, and I think it was just because I my uh, shoes were all too tight. Uh, I ended up un, uh, untying my shoes a little bit the next couple of days and took some Ad, Advil, ibuprofen, um, and that the, the pain went away. It, there's something uh, very unique about them. Um, you know, you, you get older and you do a hard workout and you wake up in my bed here in Denver and I feel just cranky and my knees hurt and I just am sore. But if you get up and start walking, like the, the natural endorphins after a mile or two are like healing. And you feel like you're going you're gonna to have to stop because you're beat up. But like, just get up, pack your stuff, Make your bed, head head west, and then the endorphins will will rejuvenate you after a mile. I did a nine mile borough race in Georgetown with my trail runners. I normally wear a size twelve, and I wore those for the nine mile race. And I got giant blisters on both my big toes, and so I did quick audible and I did order an extra pair of trail runners uh, that were a size higher. So I wore twelve and a halfs. So there is definitely something about your feet swelling. Uh, I would definitely tell people to go a half size uh, larger than they're used to mm-hmm. on a big through hike. That's that's a really, I think, helpful. I would have never thought of that. It's really an interesting tip. How'd you guys sleep on the on the trail? One tip I would give, I, I have um, leggings. And so instead of bringing a, a liner for your sleeping bag or a quilt, I would put my, I would switch my underwear, my base layer to a leggings. So it'd be a fresh, uh, dry base layer on my legs. And so my dirty, sweaty, uh, dirt on my legs wouldn't get on my sleeping bag. Uh, I think that was, a, that was a good tip, tip uh, that I learned. I took a little bit, I took some Advil PM couple, first couple nights. Uh, but then I kind of got in a rhythm where I kind of exhausted myself during the day and I would sleep pretty well. Um, get kind of getting that circadian rhythm when the sun goes down, your brain's kind of, uh, it's just a very cool feeling to be just very exhausted, but very proud of being exhausted and not have that distraction of like watching Netflix or like the green, the blue light of phones. It's like your brain can be like, it's time to rest. And then you can just 
rest. You don't have to like fight all the like the pinball machine brain that I feel like I fight every day in real in the real society. Yeah, I would say uh, I slept pretty hard every night. A few ounces of rum before bed always helps, you know. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I I mean I I would usually sleep pretty much through until the morning, which I don't do that at home. I mean, I'm up multiple times, you know, the dogs, whatever. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. I think being pretty exhausted, I would sleep hard. I think the research shows that your melatonin cycle kicks in when you don't have that blue light. So once the sun sets, sets, you're in a caveman mentality where your body says melatonin boom in your brain and say melatonin produces for eight hours. If you're in the real world and you're watching Netflix till midnight, your melatonin then is delayed, kicks in at midnight. And when your alarm comes off at 7 a.m., you still have an hour of melatonin in your natural cycle. And that's why you're waking up groggy in the real world. And then on the trail, your melatonin kicks in and you're sleeping that eight hours and it's gone out of your system by five in the morning. You get up at six you're not waking up groggy. Amazing. Again, uh, benefits of nature, benefits of through hiking, benefits of getting away from blue light and getting back to a caveman circadian rhythm. My longest experience, one of my longest experiences was doing that four pass loop, which was just awesome. You know, I really enjoyed it. Um, but there's one image I and mean, there's a, I came around, it was the um, Frigidaire Pass. I came around Frigidaire Pass and I turned and looked down this valley and you could see the maroon bells. And it, like literally it's one of the few times in my life that my breath was taken away. It was just so stunningly beautiful. So whenever I think about that trip, that, that image is like seared into my mind, just how beautiful and awe-inspiring that was. And I'm just wondering if like, you know, your experiences of the Colorado Trail, if there's like a single image that will always stick in your mind oh, forever. That's a, that's a great question. I, I kind of articulate that as like, it's so beautiful that you can't soak it up. Like you're almost ache because like you can't take it all in. Uh, and I think uh, when you drop from the high Alpine Mesa into Elk Creek, uh, about a day from Silverton, it, unbelievable. It's a, uh, just sheer cliffs, the sun on the Alpine Lake and the sun on the, on the, on, on the rock is, it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard to beat. And what about, what about you between uh, Waterton and uh, Twin Lakes? Yeah, I, you know, the one that has stuck with me uh, from this year actually was from the night that you and I in Badfoot in the Holy cross wilderness in kind of that meadow. And we, we were sitting in that meadow and it was just, it was beautiful. And we were looking up at, at the mountains around us and I needed to go and filter some water. And we had determined that there was a little Creek actually pretty close to us. And I went over there and I'm like, I'm filtering the water in the Creek, very focused on what I was doing. And I looked up, and this, just this meadow, this expanse of meadow 
just rimmed with the the um the mountains around it i was like i was just awestruck right and it was just it was like a weird thing because i was just doing something so you know focused and then i looked up and it was it was just right there it was um just incredible i took like five pictures of it and it's still it's like it's my favorite pictures of the trip it was just really really cool and then of course the uh vintage Coors sign at the twin lakes general store was was nice too we're very pleased with this conversation thanks for joining the last minute angler yeah yeah thanks for reaching out it was fun 